Sound of Hockey episode 208.5. Huh? How could it be? Episode 208.5. How can we have a half episode? Well, I'll tell you in just a moment, folks. This is Darren Brown at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter. Not joined currently by Andy Ide or John Barr. Andy will be on this episode shortly. Uh, here's the deal, folks. We have some exciting news to share with you which is we're trying to increase the amount of podcasts that we put out this season. So rather than just doing one a week, and some weeks it's still going to be one, let's be honest here. I don't think this is going to happen every single week, but whenever we possibly can, we're going to put out a second shorter episode that we're going to call the 0.5 episode. So the integers, right, the 208, the 209, the 210, the 211, those aren't changing. Those are going to be exactly the same format you know, same interviews and uh, what else? We have seg bits, we have listener reviews, we have mailbags, all that stuff. That's all going to stay. We're still going to do all that, but we want to add some additional content. So now whenever we can, and we're going to try to do it every week, but I can't promise that. I think there's going to be times when it's not going to work out, but uh, we're going to try to do these second half episodes. Uh, they're going to be a lot more raw, a lot less editing, a lot less formatting. Sometimes it's going to just be me and Andy at the rink. Sometimes it's just going to be me and John. Uh, we'll just pop on, talk into the microphone for a bit, share what's happening with the Kraken or whatever we want to talk about for that time. Uh, they're going to, like I said, they're going to be shorter, 20 or 30 minutes, and uh, that's going to be what it is. So this is the first one. This is our first 0.5 episode. It's a new era, folks, because we have additional content coming now. We hope that you're going to give us some feedback on this. Let us know what you like and don't like, because it really is an experiment. Uh, again, on the the integer episodes, as we're going to call them, no change there. They're going to be exactly the same. But let us know what you think about these 0.5 episodes. And yeah, there's going to be you know just less additional fluff that we normally do. So it's really going to be just getting right into the conversation. And that's what's happening this week. So we are going to dive right now into a really, really awesome awesome interview with a very special guest who you're going to hear from. She is the assistant coach of the Coachella Valley Firebirds, Jessica Campbell. We were trying to connect with her for, for a while, and I'm so glad that it finally worked out because, uh, man, she is absolutely awesome. It's uh, just me and Andy chatted with her uh, at Kraken Community Iceplex earlier this week. And by the end of this episode, I just think that you're going to get some little nuggets of wisdom that, yeah, they really apply to hockey, but there's some some really awesome stuff in here that can apply to pretty much anybody's life. So um, I think you're going to Love this, and I hope, really hope that uh, you all are going to love this kind of new thing that we're trying here with the 0.5 episodes. Um, and if you don't, that's fine. We can stop doing it, but let us know. Um, we'd love to hear if you if you like this additional content, and um, hopefully we can keep doing it all season long. So, uh, without further ado, here she is, Jessica Campbell. We now welcome onto Sound of Hockey a very special guest. As a player, she played four years at Cornell University, and she served as the captain there her senior year before playing for the famed Calgary Inferno of the CWHL. She then embarked on a fascinating journey uh, coaching and is now the assistant coach. For your Coachella Valley Firebirds, welcome to the show, Jess Campbell, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. We are excited to be talking to you. We're here at Kraken Community Iceplex, which uh, it's a gray, gloomy day outside here in <laughs> Seattle. And uh, my first question, are you ready to be making your winter home in Coachella Valley? Oh, absolutely. I think I, you know, I, from all the prairie years of the frozen rinks and ponds I grew up on, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the warmth. Yeah. And have you ever lived in a warm place like that? I guess probably not, right? No. Heat yeah. and hockey for me have never gone hand in hand. So <laughs> it's exciting. You know, it is interesting, though, that you guys are starting out this way with the Firebirds right here um, at 
Kraken headquarters. And um, for me, I thought like, well, that's probably not ideal to like not get into the home environment at first, but there's probably a real benefit to having the Kraken organization right here to help you guys get things up and running. Am I right on that? Yeah, absolutely. They've been, they've been a tremendous support for us. I think like you just alluded to getting our feet on under us and, and having that support from them, both in personnel, but we're all working together for the same goal and, and the development of our players is, is imperative for us as coaches. And so just having that, that layer of support nearby and, and also knowing that the guys always have eyes on them, right? Like they're working hard to continue to, to work their way into where they, they want to get to. And so being obviously neighbors for these next couple months or from the very beginning, it's, I think it's going to be a unique way to start it, but shouldn't be detrimental to us in any way. Is, is there extra team bonding? Because I believe they're all kind of living in a hotel right now. And so instead of leaving the rink and going all their separate ways, they're all going back to kind of the same place. Does that add some bonding, you think? Yeah, I think like any road trip, you're, those are special moments for teams. I mean, obviously the length of the stay is a little bit longer than the usual. But when you're kind of all on top of each other, you have, you're, <laughs> you're forced into conversation. And our guys are coming from all over the world and different teams. And no one really has ever played together, um, at least not in this in this special group. So I think it's a good way for us to, to form that culture early. And being here in the Kraken headquarters, like they just went through this last year too. So have, has anybody in the organization given any good tips that would help <laughs> speed things along for you guys? Yeah, I think everyone's kind of this, you know, we've done this, we've done that. And this works, this doesn't work, but like any any first, it's it's always special to be a part of any first, I think, and, and there's gonna be errors along the way and that's part of the process. So I think we've definitely been able to learn from their, their trials from last year and, and just taking that advice and making sure that we do everything we can to make sure our guys are prepared and, and ready to succeed when we come out of the gates. And, and you've seen, you practice with your team and when they were all together as one, both organizations. Uh, uh, you've seen, seen them a decent amount, uh, gotten to know the players. Uh, what, any early impressions on what kind of team you guys have? Yeah, we're, we're, I think we're going to be a very unpredictable, deep <laughs> team we have talent we have diversity in in all types of players and from top to bottom um from from goaltending forwards d i think it's it's going to be a very scary team that hits the ice for the opposing team so we're excited definitely excited and seeing them through training camp seeing what they can bring and and all of the i think untapped potential still that that we can pour into as coaches knowing that what they're what they're coming to us as is is already something special but there's a whole nother level we can bring the group to i believe you were also on the ice this summer for development camp i know you and dan and, and i think troy also helped out something that I, that I witnessed that was kind of fascinating to me is that at, after the last day i was waiting to go in the room for media and you and i think troy were standing there and like, like almost every player to a man as they were coming off went up to you guys and thanked you for the experience that is that unique to those young kids <laughs> yeah development camps a special opportunity right you're coming off the draft and these these kids are excited they're eager they're hungry and it's it's a very special week for them because it's really their first glimpse into what what the dream is and and so to be part of that moment with them and you obviously see it there's gratitude and and it's an honor for on both sides so those are definitely special moments, and you, you remember those moments as coaches because that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Do, do pros cool. come and thank you? Like after bag skates, do they come and thank you? Or? Maybe not the skates. <laughs> <laughs> Love me now, hate me later type of approach, I guess. <laughs> well, they just don't appreciate it now, but yeah. maybe yeah, in, exactly. a, you know, in a month. In the when third they're, period, they're, they're, they got a little extra yeah. step, yeah. 
I played one year of uh, seventh grade football, and I remember when you'd be doing those wind sprints, and they'd be like, fourth quarter. Like, Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> We're not um, there right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I do want to go back and talk a little bit about your playing career. Um, so, you know, you mentioned you grew up in the prairies, right? And uh, Saskatchewan to Cornell. And I'm wondering, was was that always the route that you want? Like, did you always want to play American college hockey? And was Ivy League something that you were looking at? Yeah, I think early on, um, as a young kid, I grew up in a very small town. So mm. even now, to where the game has gone on the women's side is is unbelievable but when I was playing as a young kid I grew up playing boys hockey so Mm -hmm. I was just one of the boys and I think it instilled this kind of naive belief and dream in me of you know whatever you want to be whatever you want to aspire to go after and chase it and and really I I didn't see what was was out there um, because there was no professional women's league and so I always dreamt of playing in the NHL to be honest Mm and and as naive as that dream was it it's funny because you know my first experience watching the Olympics, you know, that's when it became real that I wanted to train and compete for my country and, and that there was something in the game for me. So that path to the Canadian women's national team. And and then as part of that process, you know, playing at the highest level meant, you know, striving for NCAA hockey. So that's the journey that, that my path took me on. And, and obviously as I learned more about what was there the Ivy League education also being on the women's side for me. If I could study and play and get the same experience, then that I'm going to take advantage of those opportunities. I'm guessing you didn't major in coaching. So what was the uh, what was the plan there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I actually studied communications and business. So oh, yeah. I yeah, I look back on my my time at Cornell and I've I've said to myself. Thank God I studied communications because it's come back to me and it's helped me now as a coach. And in the time, I probably didn't know that I was going to be in this position, um, at least wasn't studying for that. But, yeah. you know, it's it's funny how all your worlds collide into one. And, and so a communication degree, if hockey didn't work out, you could have like hosted a podcast. Right. I was just going to say, <laughs> did, you, did you practice your podcast interviews when you were when you were in school? But, um, you did play in one uh, Frozen Four game as well when you were at Cornell. I'm curious how big of a thrill that was and just kind of what you remember from, from that experience. Yeah, actually, it's funny. I, I was actually playing with a – coming back from a recovering uh, dislocated shoulder mm. in that game. It was only two weeks after, but I was I was in it, and the thrill of just just being there, and yeah, of course we had we had a strong team, and we had a team that could contend for a national title that year, and it was a lot of fun. But all of those moments, you just remember the people next to you, your teammates, and really the the harder days, like we just kind of laughed about. But you remember those moments because that's really what got you into those championship opportunities. And you did play a little bit of professional hockey league, right? In this mm-hmm. in the. Uh, uh, the CWHL, which is now defunct, uh, unfortunately. Uh, you were an all-star there. You played the Clarkson Cup. Uh, what what was that league like? What was that experience like? Yeah, you know, the CWHL, I think it was a very special league. Obviously, a little disheartening to, to obviously be on the other side of it now, seeing that the league folded. But in, the, in that time, we were the sister team to the Calgary Flames. You know, we, we called ourselves the Lady Flames. And, <laughs> and the Flames supported us too as well and in the community but the the thing that I think that was great about the league was the competition you had every player playing that league was essentially training for their for their for their country Canada versus U.S. I know our, it was Calgary, Montreal, and and Boston. We had some some ugly barn burners. And it was Canada <laughs> versus U.S. and then all other top end NCAA players and college players. So everyone that was in that league was working a day job nine to five and and training like a professional athlete. Hmm. So 
you look back and there's moments where you're like, oh, you know, it should have been different. It, it should be different and the game, the, the league should be still, you know, in existence. But that's what we're still pushing for. And I know the, the PWHPA is advocating for that change still. Yeah, and that's a big topic of discussion. And mm-hmm. um, here, at least on, on our podcast, we try to bring it up every now and then just to like say, here's what's happening in the women's game. And it's, yeah. it's so hard to find coverage and to, um, you know, to really say what's going on. And it seems like the only time it does come up is when there's some big sweeping thing about, you know, here's here's what's changed in the league or this league went under or this league changed its name or whatever. And um, I just, I'm wondering, because you probably have a unique perspective having gone through it to some degree. And what would you like to have in an ideal world for the women's game in the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things. But I think at the end of the day, the female athletes that are, you know, representing their country, playing professionally, they're, they're doing the exact same thing that, right. you know, these pros do as well. They wake up, they train, they they take care of their bodies and they compete, you know, at the highest level that that's available to them. And being part of that process and, and still seeing some of my best friends and former teammates going, you know, through that journey and now having to advocate for, I think, that support and the level that that they deserve is, is definitely frustrating in itself. But the one thing I think that's um, the direction there that it's going in is, I think, is it's heading down the right path. Mm-hmm. And I think the NHL and, and everybody's trying to do their part for the right timing. But I think really, truly, in in my opinion, and, and these are my only opinions, I think that the, having the fan base, the support in the community and placing the girls in places where they're going to get that level of support, where they truly feel like this is professional hockey, whether that's filling a rink with 2,000 fans or 5,000 or regardless that they're selling tickets and they're starting to feel like their own sense of push for professional hockey. And when you're playing professional hockey, when does coaching kind of jump on your radar as something that you could potentially do? (laughs) Yeah. When I finished playing, I, I jumped right into skating and skills coaching. So for me as a player, skating was an asset of mine. It was a strength. And, and when I look back on it now, I always wanted to understand it deeper, maybe as more like a coaching thought process and, really didn't need to know the, the level of detail perhaps on the technical side of skating that that I was curious about and so I explored that curiosity after I was done coaching and I always ran camps and did development as a player to give back to my community so I knew I loved it and it was something that really made me tick and started a spark inside so it was kind of a natural path that I went right into into coaching but you know I I really dove into the skating world the skills world and that's where I spent the last three to four years was developing my own business and running skating and skills development for players from young kids to to NHL pros um, and that's what's allowed me to get to this place as a coach and realize what you know what my goals were and my aspirations as a coach what do you think made you such a good skater growing up like was that like it's got to be a mix of natural talent but also good coaching at some point right to like help you with the technique (laughs) yeah I think for me skating was always fun Mm -hmm. like I was introduced into skating in a fun way and you know you see kids out here in the iceplex and they're just ripping around having fun and that's what it's all about (laughs) like I loved being on the ice and that that feeling of stepping on cold ice and you know freedom with your with your family and your friends and we played tag like that's how I learned to skate fast Mm -hmm. just chasing my siblings and we you know we went to power skating camps and we did all the things that I think you know naturally you do to work on your your skills but I think then the natural ability but also the love for it that's what allowed me to develop my my potential out I think to its fullest and 
and realize that that was a strength of mine that carried through my career. And how much do you think playing, as you mentioned, you played at the boys growing up, which, by the way, I found that interesting because, so my sister had a very similar story to yours, but mm-hmm. uh, like she also played Ivy League hockey, and cool. but she's probably 10 years older than you, I would guess. She did grow up growing at the bo- playing with the boys, but because there was no option to play with girls yeah. when mm-hmm. she was a kid, right? Yeah. So was that a choice for you to, to play with the boys when you were a kid? Yeah, it was it was not a choice. Um, <laughs> I was one of one of two, maybe usually just the only girl on the team. And as I tried out for double A, triple A teams, that number became you know I was eventually the only one. And um, I loved the push, and I didn't really care. I mean, at a young age, you just I was playing hockey because I loved hockey, and my friends were my friends. With the fact they were all boys, you know, it's I think it instilled this this different mindset in me though, which has allowed me as a coach, I think, to, to carry the confidence and the belief that even now in a space that's maybe uncharted or it's new territory for, for women in the game, it's allowed me to have the same mindset. And, and I attribute that to the coaches I had when I played boys hockey who treated me as one of the boys and as equal. And, and really, I believed that I belonged there and that I was capable and worthy just as much. Mm-hmm. And you did allude to your coaching journey a little bit, uh, but I'd love for you to kind of like walk us through because just <laughs> I was trying to sort of piece together all the different things that you've done here in your <laughs> still very young coaching career. And you've been literally all over the world with coaching already. And I'd love for you to just kind of walk our listeners through where all you've been and how it all shook out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a crazy journey. And I'm very <laughs> grateful for all the opportunities because They've they've come quicker than you know. I've I've set goals for myself, and I'm I'm always trying to work to be a better coach and to be a better person through the process. But when I transitioned from playing four years ago, well, almost five years ago now, I I went into kind of back to youth hockey, AAA hockey, and really tried to isolate myself as a skating coach and a power skating coach. And I dove deep into that. And, and I was an assistant coach for a triple A team. Um, and I was trying to get players onto the next level. So NCAA and, and in that space. And, and after a couple of years of, of doing that, I realized I wanted to step away and, and become a full-time skating coach, skills coach and, and launch my own business. And that actually took me to Europe, to Sweden. And I ended up in, in Malmo, Sweden, in the SHL. And I was working there for several months before COVID hit, actually, and, and my plan was to return there full time. And and obviously, with the world of COVID, that you know led us all in different paths. But um, from from there, I I moved. I got an opportunity with a Tri City Storm in the USHL in Chicago to to run the feeders feeder teams. And so I moved out to Chicago last year, just over a year ago, and spent the year there. But I was was working also with the uh, Nuremberg Ice Tigers and I spent time there in the DEL uh, went back and forth to Germany which kind of then got me plugged into the German national team program and I ended up coaching at world championships with the team and got asked to to join their squad last spring um, which I think led me here because you know I I'm a big believer that your work should your product of your work should be the biggest reflection of you and, and, you know, that impact and what you leave behind is more important than anything else. And so I'm just a big advocate on when I have an opportunity to work with players, whatever age that is from youth to pro that I'm, I'm making them better, that they understand that I'm there to serve them and to help them. And so I've been fortunate in the last four years, I think for my skill set and my skating work to separate me with a different approach and a different perspective perhaps and and the communication that I take pride in listening to my athletes Um, and that's allowed me now as as a coach on the tactical side to have kind of a very 
a very accelerated, unique journey, both in Europe and then back here in North America to the American Hockey League and with the Kraken to have these opportunities. But I, I truly believe it's, I attest the success to, to the players that have, have been advocating for me and my work and my coaching. I'm curious, as an assistant coach, I would imagine you're, you, you're, you're with Dan, you're involved in like the systems and some of the strategy and all that stuff. But you're, it feels like in your bones is the skills and the skating. Is it sometimes hard to separate that when you're on the ice at practice? See you guys skating. You're yeah, like, yeah. you know, you could improve your skating <laughs> X, Y, Z, which may take away from what the drill is or the task is at hand. Is that a hard uh, thing to yeah, separate? Yeah, I think I naturally, I always, you know, you have, you have to have, there's the team game and then there's the individuals <laughs> within the team that you're trying to strengthen, right? And so you have to find that, that balance. And there's a time and place to be doing skill development, skating development, um, typically the heavier stuff is done in the off season. So that's where I spend a lot of my time with players in one-on-one in -on -one or in, you know, small groups development where you can really ramp that up. But when it comes to now on this side of it, try to find ways, meaningful ways as well in groups, position specific to, to, to give our players that those touch points and the, and the, the tools that they need to be relevant and to add value into their game now. Right. Like I'm a big, big believer in that. And I talk about, you know, adding more tools to your tool belt. You need to be able to be resourceful and and to tap into different tools when when needed. And that's part of my job here in Coachella is to develop our guys and to know that they always have myself and Stu and, and the coaching staff. Same thing with Colin, that they can they can grab at any time and hop on the ice to help help them help their game. And you've worked one-on-one -on -one with some NHL guys, right? Is, uh, yeah. What's that feeling like when after they work with you, you watch them in an NHL game and you're, you see maybe an improvement and there, <laughs> there's some pride there that, hey, maybe you did make it to the NHL after all. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's at first, this my first opportunity was three years ago or two years ago. Um, I had a handful of, of NHL players all at once. It was actually tra getting ready for the coach to go back from the, the COVID to the, to the bubble. And at one point there was about 15 to 20 guys all in, in Kelowna that were skating with me from veterans in the league, you know, Seabrook, Shea Weber to, you know, Matt Barzells and younger, very skilled players. And they were putting their trust in me and they were showing up for my instruction and our skates. And so for me that, that definitely opened my eyes to the level that I believed I could be at but really affirmed the goals that I had and and knowing that this is the path and this is what I want to do and to keep doing the work and to just trust my path and get there when you get there kind of thing but um, seeing them in games for sure you know I've always <laughs> you know a friend once told me is don't be a f don't ever be a fan of your players right like your job is to make them better and yes you know we enjoy the game we enjoy watching them succeed but ultimately gotta we've got to yeah we've got to find ways to still make the best players even better and and to keep elevating so it's it's a lot of fun working with obviously the best players in the game man NHL players love Kelowna in the summer I, I yeah it's a hot a spot flock up there yeah. <laughs> it's a nice area how's Dan Bilesman been so far Oh, he's been incredible. Yeah. He's a lot of fun. Obviously, his uh, his experience, his knowledge of the game. It's I, I as Zach's talking about this a couple of days ago. I think just having his perspective and lived lived experience, and I mean that is you know you can't replace that. You have to, you have to go through it to be able to know the things that you know Dan Dan knows, and he's lived it with some of the best players in the game. You know, and and that's so invaluable so to be around that every day it's an honor and and i'm just trying to always be a sponge learn take in and and emulate and i think that's the best way to to be as a coach is to, to take 
and apply and to learn as much as you can. But he's he's a ball of energy. He's yeah. definitely a fun guy to be around as well, but passionate and and really enjoy working with him. Has Dan ever, I remember watching a, like a 24-7 thing where he was the coach of the Penguins, right. and I remember him like <laughs> making guys run up to the top of the stadium if they lost a shootout <laughs> and things like that. Has he pulled any of those tricks yet? Yeah, he's got some fun, he has some fun tools. And <laughs> it, it's, watching Dan be Dan is, it's, yeah, you should just you know spend a day in the stands, and I think you can see his personality, his passion, and everything come all out at the same time, which the guys feed off of. In yeah. the lighter end, the more serious moments, for sure. But that's a, that's probably a good example of it. <laughs> uh, last one. So there is a unique situation being an AHL coach, I imagine. And, and you just went through it. A bunch of guys just got put through waivers, mm -hmm. sent down. I'm sure some of them were at least hopeful that they had an outside chance of making the Kraken, yeah. right? And so how do you kind of get those guys refocused to say, we're going to help you get to the next level? but you need to give us everything here at this level first. Like how, how hard is that to do to get those guys back on track again when that happens? Yeah, and that, you know, it's, it's a tough space. Like a couple of days ago, I was thinking about this and, and you always tap into your own experiences, right? When you're in those moments where you know this is a tougher day for the players yeah. or, you know, 24 hours after maybe they're getting a message they, they didn't work for, they, you know, they don't want to hear, but then seeing the opportunity that is still. And, and I think with our team in Coachella and, and being surrounded among other players that are, you know, with like-minded goals that, that can push them to still get to where they want to get to and to have a support staff and coaching group that's really committed to their development. And I, I, I know as a player that when you're in the, in that space, you just need to know and kind of check yourself that, Hey, this is actually part of the process and this could be the best thing that happened to me. And I try to remi remind my players or anytime I'm working with athletes that are in that space and in those harder moments that, hey, let this like let this be the reason that, that you get to where you get to. Let it define you and and take it with, you know, I don't want to say a chip on the shoulder, but use it as fuel to the fire to to go back and work on your game or to do the things that, you know, the finer areas and, and the reality is is there's not a lot of separating differences between our guys and and they're right there. And so it's just it's giving them those extra touches and, and making sure that they know we're committed to them and that their path, you know, that it's not far, far away from them. And it's just the little things and timing and opportunities come. So to be ready for that. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest message is making sure every day that we're doing what we can in Coachella to position our players to be the best prospects and call-ups for the Kraken and, and, and in hope have them stick because yeah. that's what they want, that's what we want, and then we're doing our jobs as a development organization to, to keep that feeder system going. Very cool. Well, uh, we are out of time. I am, uh, I mean, I'm personally ready to go run through a wall and make an <laughs> NHL team. So if that, uh, if that does anything, but Jess, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome and uh, really, really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you, Evan, for uh, setting this up as well. He's in the room, so he gave me a thumbs up. Uh, go Firebirds. Thank <laughs> go you very Firebirds. much. Yeah. Have a great day. Thanks, awesome. guys.